RadioInfluence.com. And welcome to the Merry Christmas Eve Eve edition of the Dark to Light podcast with Windy Val and Beans. It is very cold um, all over the country right now, apparently. It's going to get very cold over here later on in the afternoon. We're going to, but uh, I know that it's incredibly cold elsewhere. We're not, doesn't look like we're getting any snow per se, but the 50 mile an hour winds all night last night were pretty incredible with the rain we got three inches i think oh wow wow so we're at 53 right now but it says we're gonna hit a low of 26 at some point today so i'm expecting a yeah we're single digits by the end of the day yeah and and my friend and sharon in texas texted and said okay it's she said it's uh 15 degrees here i did not move to texas for this expletive that i won't repeat I know. I saw it. I saw a couple of videos going around with. Uh, I guess. I guess they're supposed to be Democrats who are just. I don't know. They think that the world is crashing and it's all re- Republicans' fault, and they were blaming uh, Governor Abbott. Oh, Governor Abbott. Say, oh yeah. Well, this is what you voted for. They're showing the heat map, which is like ever like fifteen degrees, twelve degrees in like southern Texas by the Mexico border. They're like, you want you you wanted Hot Wheels for for uh, for governor. This is what you voted for. It, it's, like, what? <laughs> what? I don't know if you can hear the wind blowing. It's super windy too, but um, but wind yeah. died down. The wind it, di- it died down, but I know some people got it real bad. Well, here we go. We're gonna do an overview of both days of the Carrie Lake trial today, and we have a lot of clips to play. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, "Oh, clips!" No, no, no. You need to hear these. It, it's it. You need to hear them. So I live streamed the entire first day of coverage with Adam Carter from the Washington Pundit and UDC Uncovered DC contributor. Um, it, it was something. Um, just to did you did you watch any clips about it, or am I starting with you from basically bare bones? No, I, I've seen a few, and I especially watched Rich's uh, appearance. Yeah, I, as I was talking to him before he he actually took the stand. So, um, but but other than that, no, no, nothing as comprehensive as you. All right, so we're gonna try and cram about seventeen hours into one, and off we go. Um, so there's been some back and forth about what they needed to do at trial. The judge told them they needed to prove intentionality. The law says that that's not required. So. They went into the case thinking or prosecuting the case or, or being the plaintiffs in the case that they had to prove that this was all done intentionally, which is a very high bar to be able to cross. I mean, you need to have like almost a person saying, I did this. Um, but they had the, the next best thing, which is ultimately the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. I thought that they were going to be lights out on chain of custody, which they were, and that the printer issue was going to be a really tough thing for them to prove intentionality on, right? The the fact that the printer did something to the ballot that made it impossible to tabulate the right way, hence the draw three issues. It turned out that that was the major bombshell in this, in this trial. Is this the 19-inch, 20-inch thing? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to break this down in 
the best way I know how in a series of three or two clips. Because Jarrett, who was um, the director of elections, for lack of a better word, perjured himself on the stand. They called him as a witness day one. The defense called him as a witness day two. And the testimony between those two days was night was was completely different and they they called him on it and they pinned him down on it and the closing was focused on it and it was a big deal. So we're going to play what he said the first day when asked questions about whether or not a 19-inch image could have been printed on 20-inch paper. Now he was the second witness to be called right after Stephen Richer who started the Carrie Lake pack against Carrie Lake and then denied he did so on the stand. That's another perjury on the stand. But let's play this clip of him. Here we go. It's hard to hear because the audio was really crappy, but we're going to try. Um, this is Kurt Olson questioning Jarrett on the stand about the ninth the paper. And here we go. Did you hear of any reports of that? I did not. If that occurred, would that be a failure of Maricopa County's election process? I'm not aware of it occurring, and I'd be surprised if there was a a ballot on the end printer that had a 19-inch ballot on it. Okay. I understand that, sir. But and the reason why is we did not design a 2022 general election on a 19-inch ballot. That ballot does not exist. The only ballot that exists is a 20-inch ballot. And when you say redesigned, who designed the ballot? Is that outsourced to another company, or is that done uh, in-house by Maricopa? In-house by Maricopa County's staff. Who, what department would that staff fall under? Is there a specific name for uh, Our ballot tabulation team, so reports to me. And do you maintain records? as to the ballot definition that was created for the 2022 general election? Yes, we have records of all the ballots that were designed. And so I'll go back to my question again. If a 19-inch ballot image was put on a 20-inch paper in the 2022 general election, would that be a failure of your election process? It would, if something like that happened, which I don't know how it would, yes, it would have been a mistake. Um, could that have also been a deliberate act? Again, you're ask, asking me to speculate about things that I have no knowledge of occurring. So I don't know if it could have been a deliberate act or not. I don't believe that that occurred. How, much, how involved in you are you in creating the ballot definition? So my team does, and then I overview it, and I'll review examples of those. Okay. I don't believe that happened. I couldn't testify to whether or not it was an intentional act. I don't believe it happened. Um, you know, he asked very specifically if a 19-inch image could have been on a 20-inch ballot paper and he denied that it was possible then he was cross-examined by his own defense uh defense team 
And he tripled down on that, even though they tried giving him all kinds of outs. He, he wouldn't do it. Now, then they had on the expert that said this. Oh, I thought it was a video. I thought it was a video. He testified that there was a, there were 15 duplicated ballots. He did not have the duplicates for. They couldn't produce them and told him it was going to take over a week for them to get them to him. So they should have spoiled, they should have reproduced the, the ballots on the 19 inch, the 19 inch ballots on the 20 inch paper. They should have reproduced those, duplicated them and scanned them in again properly. And Clay Perique should have been able to see that duplicate recreated ballot with the original because that's the way it's supposed to go. So, oh wait, so do they show any um, any physical examples of a ballot? So are they saying that the the actual ballot itself was had like a one inch margin on the paper that should not have been there? Yes, and I do have that right now up on screen for anybody who wants to see it. There is a margin around the outside. On the left side of the screen here, you'll see the 19-inch ballot image on a 20-inch paper, on a 20-inch paper. And then on the right side of the image, you'll see the, the, what the 20-inch ballot is supposed to look like. And this will cause the tabulator to reject the ballot because it's not designed to be, like the ballot image that's on file with them is not designed to look that way. So it will not tabulate this ballot. And and this and this kind of nineteen in twenty is only being found in certain areas six, of the state. Six voting centers they were able to pull from. Maricopa County maintains it was only three. Now that they are forced to admit that it happened, which I'll show you in a second, but it was six because they asked for ballots from six different voting centers, and they found this issue at all six of them. And Clay Perik got on the stand and said, there is only one way that this could have possibly happened, and it's with intentionality, because you can't do this from the local printer. This whole shrink uh, fit to page nonsense, he debunked fit to page because they're saying, oh, some tech clicked fit to page in order to be able to get the ballot, the printer to print the ballot out. And he's saying if it's, it would have been, the 20 inch ballot if he hit fit to page because it was a 20 inch paper so like that that excuse doesn't hold any water at all if you would have clicked fit to page it would have been 20 inches and the paper's 20 inches it's not like they put in a 19 inch paper and we're trying to, to print out a 20 inch ballot image on it so fit to page doesn't make any sense does that make sense to you what i'm saying yeah, so far so far okay so he's saying this could only happen at the server level it, that's the only way it could happen. He went through the technical reasons why. He swore under oath that there is no way that this was not intentional. There's no way. It's impossible for this not to have been intentional. And I said a couple of, like a month and a half ago, we talked about this, when, when Mark Bronovich sent the letter to Maricopa County asking them, please tell us if your print printers are or are administered at the server level and i said they could take a bunch of printers and put them into a container quote a virtual container from wherever they were knowing the locations of them and then apply a policy to those printers to have them do x when they're when all the rest of the printers are doing y from a group policy and that is absolutely i would bet my money 
That's what happened here. Somebody rolled out a policy to these printers to print a 19-inch ballot image on a 20-inch paper. However they did it, whether it was with a different image file, they just did locally, if they changed a setting on the resolution of the printer, whatever, driver, whatever it was. So then after after Parikh came out and said, I, I examined these ballots, there were 19-inch ballot images on 20-inch paper, which stunned everybody, including apparently... The defense were, were, they were, they were wiped right off their feet on this. It was a moment in the testimony where you were like, like, holy crap. This is like the, the, did you use this knife at the murder scene minute in the trial? Right. (laughs) So we were blown away. And then the next day, this is what he said. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. Hold on. Is there any documentation of any inquiry about this fit to print issue? I don't know if there's any documentation. So you said you performed a root cause analysis to determine the how these problems arose on election day? We're in in the process of performing a root cause analysis. Ah. And as part of that root cause analysis, you determined that there was this fit to print issue in three locations, correct? That's correct. And again, you did not mention this in your testimony yesterday, did you? I did not. Did you publish anywhere that there was this shrink-to-fit issue after the election? We've not. So you didn't tell the public, hey, we've discovered. I mean, you're performing a root cause analysis, and you find out that there was this shrink-to-fit issue that gave rise to uh, problems in the tabulators, and you did not inform the public about this. We're still in the process of our root cause analysis. Okay. It's a felony to certify an election while that's ongoing, by the way. A felony. Not only that, he admitted it didn't just happen in this election. It happened in 2020, and it also happened in the, in the primary. They did it all three times. Well, well. So he perjured himself, and there was much more to the cross-examination that we just don't have time to go through here. But he perjured himself clearly. Like, they went on and on asking him, like, how in the middle of that questioning yesterday could you be so steadfast in this never happened? This could never happen. It would never happen. I don't know of it happening. I mean, we listened to it. You heard it. Because because he is an example of the intentionality behind everything. I, <laughs> he's, I mean, the, ha- he, he's the evidence. Seriously. And, and and their case was just completely foobarred from that. I mean, how do you recover? Like, how do they... Re- the Clay Perique's testimony was so good. And he was so unimpeached. They tried to impeach this witness by um, impugning him for attending Mark um, Mike Lindell's cyber symposium somehow. Like, and they, they fell so short of anything close to being, you know... Um, derogatory at all like they tried to say they add one of the laws that or rules you're supposed to follow as a pro as a a, attorney in general is don't ever ask a question you don't already know the answer to just don't do it right he asks the guy how much did you get paid to go to mike lindell's cyber symposium and the guy's like nothing (laughs) he's like i didn't get paid um what about your travel and he's like, yeah, they paid for my travel. What about your hotel? 
He's, oh, oh, the and, and it's it. It was uh, it was reminiscent. I mean, I mean, of the the kind of the horrible questions that they were trying to throw at Rich to make him seem like he was uh, he was some kind of a nobody. Yep. And that and that five thirty eight. His work wasn't like accredited. Well, his um, answer was yeah. His his answer was great. Um, about There's acad- no authority on this. Well, not only that, but like I deal in the real world, not academia. Like you know what I mean. He he just shot back Rich Barris with like the greatest answer to that and and they were if they would have continued going down the five thirty eight route with him, it would have it would have been devastating because Rich was he was ready to like throw down on that because he hates them he, yeah he does I, yeah he does every time he's on he's just he, he's always just seething and, and i i loved how the judge had to calm him down yep. and like twice please talk slower because he's you know he's like you know he, he'll he's a New it's, Yorker. The, it's drinking from the fire hose he wants to blast you down with what he knows but the, the stenographer couldn't move her fingers quick enough <laughs> he would be like he he did do a good job of slowing down after that, but he would have been like me on the stand for sure. Like I would have been the same way. And he's a New Yorker. I mean, we all talk fast. All of us do. We do. It's just something we do. Uh, Katie and Steve, thank you so much. They sent us a Christmas gift, Frank. I'll send it along to you. Very kind of you. Very, very Thank kind. you, guys. Thank you. Very so, generous. Thank you. So much. Um, so... Now I want to move on to another mic drop moment on day one. I wish this was a video. I really wanted to play a video. This was one of the major. This is this is the um, her name is um, I call her Miss Honey because her last name is Honey. But we're going to play a little bit of her testimony about chain of custody, which was damning. You know, there's it's one thing to testify to the procedure that you have to follow in chain of custody. It's another and big deal. You have a procedure. It's written down. It's foolproof as much as it can be. If you don't freaking follow it, it's useless. So congrats to you for being able to. You're breaking up on me again. What is even happening today with this? No, you're, you're back. I'm just going to say this. There might be a chance, I don't know, that we have to start this over. I hate for that to happen, but with the way this is going today, I'm worried. Um, it's great if you have chain of custody procedures. It's great. If you don't follow them, they're worth shit. Okay? Here is some of the testimony about that from Mrs. Honey, who was an expert, expert witness. Do you have all of Maricopa County delivery receipt documents? We do not have any. We requested them, but they said they had misplaced them. And those are the ones that were uh, for election day, correct? Well, actually, we didn't get a single one of those for the entire election. It, it is uh, the testimony of uh, the or in the declaration of Runbeck uh, employees that no such documents existed for election day for election day right hey, what about prior to the election yeah so this was this form was actually created for all of the, the days prior to election day i'm sorry but my question was specifically related to election day okay there, there were none well we did not receive any they said they misplaced them and the runback employees said none existed no. 
None existed. Runbeck says no chain of custody forms exist for election day. No biggie. Just 290,000 ballots. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's it's just it's so slop. It's such a sloppy of a steal. And all of them really are. If it weren't for the authorities that line up to create a buffer between people and justice, you know, instead of being a conduit between people and justice, this is these are open and this is open and shut. I'm not even talking about Arizona anymore. All the stuff like this that we talk about over the years is so damn sloppy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, just throw them out. <laughs> just they've get rid of them. never gotten here. And that's why they never wanted to get here. That's why every single one for the past several years has been basically tossed. And the few that have gotten there, the 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 Antrim, Michigan one, this one, for goodness sakes, this one, have shown what? Absolute, absolute malfeasance on the part of these people that are supposed to be running elections. Here's some more. I don't know. Did I just play that? Which one did I play? I played this one. Let's watch this one this next one um uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes and um her concern was that uh specifically the um the seals were being removed when the um uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes and um her concern was that uh specifically the um the seals were being removed from the transport containers um, and the ballots inside were not counted. Uh, she, you know, that was a requirement as she understood it. And the fact that they were just taking those ballots out of the transport containers without counting them um, was was her primary concern. And then, okay, so we have two different people you have spoken to working in two different places, correct? Correct. One's here at Runbeck, the third party vendor. And one's here at McTech, right? MC Tech? Mm-hmm. All right. And both of them are both telling you that there is no chain of custody on election day for ballots being transported from MC Tech to Runback. Is that correct? Correct. They weren't following the, the legal requirements for chain of custody. So there were seals on the containers um, when they transported them, but the, the specific issues were that they were just cutting them open, taking the ballots out, putting them in trays without regard to how many, or, and there was no documentation. Um, there were handbags and purses um, where they were processing the, um, the, the ballots. That was a... Con- no big deal, right? I mean, no big deal. It's all fine. Don't worry. It's all good. It's fine. It's fine. Um, they couldn't produce a single slip to her to show chain of custody. Not a single one. And she, she, everyone in, you know, all the, it was, it was the classic moving of the goalposts from, from the left, right? It was like, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. Ha ha, you, you election denier. Then it was, oh, this case, they dropped eight of the counts. This case is stupid. Then it was, oh, you've got tinfoil hat wearers on the stand. How are these people actually experts? Like, how is this woman a chain of custody expert? Because that's what she does for a living. There are people that do this as their career. Like, and apparently nobody has custody of anything that they need. <laughs> apparently, and who has, and does anybody have custody of the evidence? You know, it, it's just, it, it, what are you going to say to that? Nothing. 
Oh, I, I'll tell you, the only thing they have going for them is the um, the very flippant nature of how media, which is part of the, the authorities that create the buffer for these kind of sloppy crimes, is just blasé about the whole thing. And then they have the army of bots that are in the chat rooms that are constantly just scrolling scrolling nonsense about how carry lake lost ha 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 it's all not it, it really is just it's crazy it's all they have and it in the projection when you're trying to mold minds that's one thing but you can't you can't project evidence when you're in a court setting. no i mean th- no. that's why this is such a uh, an interesting situation here you, the- because you're under the microscope and now you need to produce results to show why the other side is a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing lunatics and they just they just they've got they can't but but we're, but we're crazy the only person who matters is this man right here i'm circling with my mouse sitting behind the man who adjudicates this entire thing there is no jury it's the judge right here and i have to be i'll be honest with you he was very stoic but very very fair Right. And there were a couple times I caught his face and we're going to watch one of them because I had it very specific, very specifically pulled out. And there was a portion of time. I don't know if I mentioned this today on the podcast. I don't remember where it was just like my cousin Vinny when they're questioning Marissa Tomei at the end about the car parts. And the Maricopa County is like up in the face of the not literally up in the face, but up in the face of Clay Perique. And it's and he's saying, I can't answer your question. It's it's not a good question. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my cousin Vinny. So during the lunch break, we watched a bunch of scenes from the lunch. Because it yeah, was- I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about Marissa Tomei for the rest of the day. Me Thank too. You. <laughs> but Thank you. Yeah, she's beautiful. Um, but here is, just to revert a little bit, here is Richard literally telling people in the court under oath that he didn't create an anti-Lake pack, which is blatantly false. Bla- Everybody knows it's false. I mean, it, he's documented saying things in tweets. There's media articles written about it at the time, not now. Here. Isn't it true that you ran a political action committee that was opposed and spent money opposing my client for That is 100% false. 100% false? Now they're showing, thanks to, here, Stephen Richard, thanks to a few generous donors, this is now launching. Join me if you care about traditional Republican stuff, but also don't believe in conspiracies about the 2020 election or that January 6th was a tourist event. I mean, it's him. He's saying, he lied. He just lied. And this is included, I believe they have all of these tweets in the affidavits that that are included within evidence. So a lot of people are saying like, well, you know, why didn't they call up somebody who was disenfranchised that day? And why didn't they call up this person and that person? They were able to get all of that stuff into evidence via affidavits attached testimony of the witnesses. It was genius the way they did it. And the judge allowed it. And the judge allowed it because they know that the judge knew they didn't have a lot of time for this this lawsuit. And a lot of people were saying, oh, this judge is biased. He's only giving them two days. They all agreed on this timeline. They knew that there was going to be a problem because of when the new office holder is supposed to take office, which is January 2nd, okay? The judge needs time to go through all the evidence and make a decision. It takes time. They wanted three days. They got two, okay? So 
this was a, a back and forth. It wasn't just the judge decreeing to everybody, this is what it's going to be. So I just want to make that very clear because it was not. There's your ballot images. Um, okay, here is one of my favorite moments. Another one of my favorite moments where Honey here, Miss Honey, is testifying that Runbeck employees were allowed to add their ballots to ballot totals at the Runbeck uh, and their families' ballots at the Runbeck facility. Uh, let me just uh, ask you a, a clarifying question here. This is uh, Runbeck is the 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 printer. Runbeck is the they print ballots on. Yes, they print official ballots, but they are also responsible for scanning in and um, scanning and maintaining the electronic image for signature verification and also tabulating all of the the dropbox ballots okay so they're a one they're a one-stop election shop pretty much okay and the whistleblower from runbeck was one of the linchpins in this case because she stepped forward and worked with miss honey here and also submitted her own affidavit which is included with miss honey's testimony and her on her own wouldn't have been as effective for chain of custody prosecution as, I say prosecution as though we're in a criminal case, as Miss Honey would be in her expertise. So that's why they didn't bring her to the stand and instead brought Honey to the stand because they could use Honey to get her testimony in because she dealt with her and he was allowing that hearsay evidence and her affidavit was included. So that's still in the case. It doesn't mean it's not being considered. It's still there. So she testified to the to the plaintiff's attorneys that they were just randomly adding ballots to the count at Runbeck. And the Maricopa County was like, well, that's not that's not wrong, which is absurd. It's absurd. So now they're it's asking not, it's not wrong. There, this is Mar This is Maricopa County's attorney who's going to be questioning her right now about this. And this is a mic drop moment. I don't think he was expecting at all. He says, I have a few more questions. And then here, let's just watch it. Let her in her own glory do it. I saw this one, yeah. Okay. You're not an attorney, correct? No. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a legal question, but you only have to answer if you have an understanding about it. If you don't have an understanding, it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know. Um, are you aware that under Arizona law, a ballot is not uh, not actually unlawful if it is uh, the term that's used sometimes is harvested or ballot collection. But if somebody who is not authorized to handle it deposits it, deposits it or like what happened at Runbeck, if somebody brings it and inserts it into the stream, but not into an, a designated authorized Dropbox. Are you aware that under Arizona law that is not actually an unlawful ballot? I think the, the term in the law is an invalid ballot. Okay. Um, just one minute, Your Honor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no more questions. Thank you very much. Okay, so now listen. Now, now, now for somebody that's watching this, like me, who see can see that something has gone terribly wrong for this lawyer here. And look at and her that, face. She's yeah, and, and she, she can you explain exactly what it is that has gone wrong? It, it was hilarious to see him hit a brick wall, but what was the, uh, what was the, how did the distinction between unlawful and invalid here um, ruin his line of questioning? 
because the ballot is considered invalid, not unlawful. And she got him on the phrase that he was using. So gotcha. she knew the law better than him, basically. And, and, and to think that he prefaced that by asking her whether or not she was a learned lawyer. Yeah, and the ballot's invalid. Either way, it's invalid. And she just doubled down on that point in, in that exchange. And he was just flat-footed. He, what, what are you going to say to that? Oh, oh. That's why you never. They were so, they're so cocky that they're so unprepared as to be comical at, at some points. Um. This this is how Richard was ha not Richard. This so is you, how you Jared that was handling whether or not there were any issues on election day. And remember, Stephen Richard was out in public talking about the chaos going on that day. There were media legacy media reports up the wazoo about how terrible it was that day. Look at it's he reminded me of Peter Strzok. If you can see the man's face right now, you know what I'm saying. Here we go. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, you can't get me. Oh, they got him. All right. Here we go. That what happened on November 8th was not a disruption in the election process. I do not couch it as that. Are, are you aware that uh, Supervisor Gate uh, came out on Election Day and said 20 percent of all vote centers were affected by uh, these issues with ballots being rejected by the tabulators? Again, we didn't have ballots rejected by tabulators. They were not being read in by tabulators. But that's not a disruption when voters still had valid options to participate in dropping in those ballots in our secure door number three, which is a similar process that eight other counties use as their only option for voters to be able to return their ballots. Yeah, Mr. Jerry, you're not answering my question. My question isn't what other options existed for voters. My question is, would you agree that there was a disruption of at least 20% of the vote centers in Maricopa. Now, they argue 60% or closer to 70%, but Maricopa's official tally was 20. And they brought in a, a lawyer for the RNC under oath to literally say that Maricopa County lied in their report to the Attorney General of Arizona. He said it was intentional. There's absolutely no way that you could have lived that day and said the things that they said in this report. So I have a couple more things I need to get to too before I play the real banger from yesterday. Here. That caused delays in the voting process. Objection, Your Honor. The witness has already answered this question as to whether he characterizes it as a disruption. Yeah, I'll overrule if you can answer it. You may, sir. I'm not changing my response. Well, I hope you go to jail. So you, you I mean, seriously. I... Merry Christmas to you in jail. So I think if I'm not mistaken, I have pinpointed what I was looking for. But there were two different instances in day one where this, attor this attorney here is questioning a witness and is absolutely slammed. And the judge <laughs> recognizes it. And you can see it right on his face. And in the way he is going back and forth with his with his dialogue. So let's see if I have it right here. But it's interesting nonetheless. Here we go. This is um, on the stand right now, Miss Honey, the chain of custody expert who they brought in. Play, please. Play, please. It's not playing, Frank. It will not play. <laughs> 
All right. Just have faith. It's Christmas. Yeah, I know. We'll come back to that. It's only an eight-hour stream, you know. No no reason for... Um, I have a bunch of clips of Rich we can listen to. Rich Barris on the stand yesterday. Um, the last witness for the plaintiffs. Here we go. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So you're saying whether or not a voter who lives in Maricopa, who can vote anywhere in the county, went to the neighboring a neighboring county and voted is that what you mean it's just a hypothetical so that voter had they done that i suppose it's possible but we're talking about such a large numbers uh it shows that there was something systemic going on there we're not uh talking about a a whole third a third of those who reported on election day that they had some complication that's not going to be um, a culmination of a ton of different issues. It's very unlike, highly unlikely. It means it indicates there was something systemic going on. So just to explain Rich and why he's there, he was conducting exit polling on this election, which is where you contact a voter before the election. You ask them if they want to participate in an exit poll. You gather up a whole bunch of information about them. You check that information to make sure they're telling you the truth so you know the validity of what their exit polling response will be. And then you expect to get back from them on election day the results of the survey that you've provided. Well, in this case, 30% of same-day election voters, 20 to 30%, didn't respond because they had a problem voting, which is the first time in history he's ever had that happen to him in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of exit polls. And he was not hired by any campaign and came in on this on his own with, holy crap, what am I looking at here? And of course, and of course, the, the fact that, that that large amount of people were not able to actually go out and vote, that created a large enough margin in which the, the election could be flipped easily. And I, um, I, I, I totally I got on with that. And I, I, lo- I love the back and forth there, too, because uh, you can tell this this did not go the way for the girl lawyers uh, planned it would be when she was practicing in the bathroom mirror last night. No. And she had an absolute I'm sorry, but they all I, we've talked about this before. I don't know what it is. They all have this up talk vocal fry. Yeah, and you got to watch out for that, girls. All of you don't do that if you're sane. You- Please, please. All right, more rich, more rich Barris. 2.5% of total voters stayed home on election day because of tabulator issues, correct? Well, my opinion is that's, you know, it's when you look at Joe Voter, uh, you know, for politicos, it it might be a little hard to understand how, you know, average people would react if they were listening to their friends or they saw on social media, they saw news reports. Uh, There were widespread issues uh and that deterred people from voting or if there were long lines people couldn't wait in uh it's easy to see how people walk away not everyone is so you know intense about politics that life can't be put aside life gets in the way so is that a no you're not offering an opinion that 2.5 percent of total voters stayed home on election day because of tabulator issues maybe not you know oh no no let me clear that up what I am saying, you yeah, said no, 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 I, no, it's no, because I, I'm trying to explain that it is my opinion that the problems that people heard about and the issues they experienced and that that is two and a half percent, not that much to 40,000. That is my opinion. Absolutely. From what people told us. And the amount, the percent that was missing from the poll again at all the exit polls we, we have ever conducted, you don't see 
missing participants like this without something happening, some other variable getting thrown into the equation. You're not offering an opinion that any specific percentage of voters stayed home as a result of tabulator issues on Election Day, are you? A, a range. A, the Yes, I gave a range. I mean, I can't give a – nobody can give a specific number. I can only give you, you know, an idea of whether or not it's – it's um, mathematically you know or not even just whether or not the range that is reasonable you know we can conclude with its a degree of mathematical certainty that this affected this chunk of voters is that enough uh to to have changed the outcome and i am offering the opinion that that range is enough to put the outcome in doubt that's not what you want to hear when you're trying to pin someone the, the, she was literally trying to pin him into his word blurb of Bitch, no would you please stop being so slippery <laughs> I'm trying to pin you down, slippery man. <laughs> Rich Paris for the win, man. I swear. <laughs> His testimony was something else. Um, they had this attorney for the RNC that came in because he was the one who pre who prepared that very long compilation of the roving attorneys that were observing all of these election centers. Um, he's talking about pandemonium that day. We've gone through some of that. I'm going to save it. Um, Oh, we're back here to Honey. I don't know why this was out of order, but I wanted to play this clip too because listen to what she's saying about what election workers said. And don't worry, it's not hearsay because the election workers' affidavits are included in the record for the court. When the um, uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes and um, her concern was that uh, specifically the, um, the seals were being removed from the transport containers um, and the ballots inside were not counted. Uh, she, you know, that was a requirement as she understood it. And the fact that they were just taking those ballots out of the transport containers without counting them was, was her primary concern. Now, real quick, intentionality. They were asked over and over again, these witnesses, by the defense attorneys. Well, you can't say that that was intentional. Did they intentionally do it? And all of them said, basically some form of this when you have two decisions in front of you do i follow policy and procedure or do i not you make an intentional decision not to follow said procedure so yes it was intentional that's it you make a decision like do i drink this cup of coffee today or not is that an intentional decision you don't just forget an entire portion of your chain of custody manual on election day it doesn't happen. Every, all the people in the right places forgot on the same day. But anyway, I digress. And then, okay, so we have two different people you have spoken to working in two different places, correct? Correct. One's here at Runbeck, the third party vendor, and one's here at McTech, right? MC Tech? Mm -hmm. All right. And both of them are both telling you that there is no chain of custody on election day for ballots being transported from MC Tech to Runbeck. Is that correct? Correct. They weren't following the, the legal requirements for chain of custody. So there were seals on the containers um, when they transported them, but the, the specific issues were that they were just cutting them open, taking the ballots out, putting them in trays without regard to how many, or and there was no documentation. Um, there were handbags and purses. That part we heard already, but you get the picture. Um, 
This is another clip of Rich we'll go back to in a minute. I have two more clips of Rich, but I really, really, really want to get to the... (laughs) Hold on. I really want to get to the closing argument piece. I don't want to lose this. I have Ryan Macias here, by the way, who was reading the entire time, was literally there at the courthouse in another room testifying, clearly reading all of his testimony from a freaking prompter. Clearly. Oh, I noticed that. That's another thing I, I jumped in on, too. I saw I saw this guy reading from a uh, – it's something that was prepared, and I was wondering what – how is this even possible? You want to talk about um, a a vocal fry and and here, let's just listen to this and just you know that, you can't uh, you can't um, see him if you're listening to this on podcast version, but I will have the links in the show notes for you to go click and, and watch. Here we go. That uh, capacity. Um, my last role was acting director of the voting system testing and certification program. This is one of the roles of the United States Elections Assistance Commission is to uh, provide for a testing and certification program. Um, It is the only federal testing and certification program. Uh, Another role is to develop the voluntary voting system guidelines or the standards by which the voting systems are tested. He's clearly reading. You can hear it in his voice. Yep. Who talks like that anyway? I mean, seriously, it drives well, me that's, nuts. That's because he was he was trained and uh, he was trained by women his whole life. <laughs> they, they 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 infect they they turn they turn everybody. I don't even want to listen to the rest of his bore boring. Uh, yeah, because you know what? I hate his hair. I don't like his. You hair see, either. I'm not that deep. Sometimes <laughs> I can get deep with people. But sometimes it's just as simple as their hair sucks or Katie Hobbs' last name is a name that a loser would have. Um, By the way, I just wanted to let everyone know. (laughs) I just processed that. I'm I'm on a two-second delay for your jokes today, Frank. Bear with me. Um, I learned that he was there in the courthouse from Katie uh, Carrie Lake's War Room account. He did his testimony from a room in the courthouse. There's, Why couldn't they bring him into the courtroom? They literally asked him under oath if he was reading from a teleprompter, and he said no. That is complete. I bet you anything they were like writing in his answers, just like they gave Hillary Clinton debate answers and Joe Biden debate answers, and just openly had Fetterman reading a, a, a teleprompter during his debates. I mean, why even bother? God bless you. Well, why? technically, it's not a. Uh, technically, it's not a teleprompter if it's all written out on a piece of paper so see i don't i don't think it's a teleprompter per se i think he just has a nice large print piece of paper for a uh, prepared response in front of him on a a desk that's how these people get by he's on a computer he's on a computer and I, i if you think they're i don't know i'm pretty much of the personal determination that there was a little chat box open on the bottom right hand side of his screen that was providing him every answer that they wanted him to say well it's not technically a prompter that's the piece of glass Mm. understood you're right that's a good way to get around it technical okay so now we get there's we're gonna go back a little bit and go through some more stuff we have well maybe not we have a couple minutes but we should have had two hours for the show today however this is closing arguments, right? So 
First, the plaintiff goes and gives their closing arguments. They had 15 minutes. Then the judge was kind enough to give them five minutes to rebut the defense's closing arguments. The defense gave their closing arguments. The first attorney was Hobbs' attorney. Just very honest. She did a good job on closing. She did a good job on closing. She did what she was supposed to do in a closing argument. I can't poke too, too many holes in it other than she was one of those establishment liars that lied about everything, but she did do a good job in her closing. I'm fine. Then this guy got up and he's the last person that this judge heard before the rebuttal. And I just want you to listen to this and I'm not going to say any comment. Political malpractice. Political malpractice. Who goes out and tells their voters, don't vote on, vote on day one of voting, early voting, day two, day three, all the way up to day 26 of early voting. Wait to the last second. That's Wait, political what? malpractice. Wait, what? I want the, you. I know. The, the, I know. Wait, the, the, the last second as in election day? Just listen to the whole thing first. What? Just wait, please. I know that it's going to be nearly impossible to not jump in here, but you need to just. Let's just listen to the rest. You reap what you sow. Do you hear Your that? Honor, the burden Let's has start not over. been met. We're going to start Political over. Political malpractice. Who goes out and tells their voters, don't vote on vote on day one of voting, early voting, day two, day three, all the way up to day 26 of early voting. Wait to the last second. That's political malpractice. You reap what you sow. Your Honor, the burden has not been met. When people come into this courtroom without evidence, there should be a day of reckoning. And this has been happening all over the country, Your Honor, and it's got to stop. And it's got to stop right now. And the place to stop it is right here in your courtroom, Your Honor, right here in Mesa, Arizona. This has got to stop. we got to get back to respecting elections because that's all we have, Your Honor. Different religions, different creeds, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. There's only one thing that makes us Americans. And that's we believe in choosing our own election, our own rulers, our own governors, our own mayors, our own presidents. And we do that through elections. And because of our forefathers' experience, those elections are split up, the 50 different states and all the different counties. And the legislature makes the rules, the counties follow the rules, you, you carry out the election, and you live with the results. If you lose, you live to fight another day. You don't go into court and spew conspiracy theories and spill sour grapes. Thank you, Your Honor. I, go ahead. I, I just have to say, I'm not even mad. It was so, that is so, that is indicative of how incompetent from everything I have seen, all of his, all of, all of his teammates on this legal team are, I mean, every, every grammatical flub that he could have <laughs> committed, every ridiculous absurdity he could have put out there by leaving out the fact that election day is that last minute it used to be the only minute it used to be the only point of decision it's election day let's go out and vote and the fact that you encourage people to go out on election day is is malpractice and you reap what you sow you reap if what it, you sow it's your it's your hey it's your fault that you sent all of your people out on election day and into the arms of us into the meat grinder that we set up for you <laughs> it's your fault i mean it's 
everything and the, the the selection of our rulers i mean this is just, i'm not even mad this guy is I, i'm just wow that's the last thing the judge heard from the defense <laughs> that right there was the last thing the judge heard from the defense but and it, he came after the lawyer that somewhat confidently argued their their closing argument and then Olsen got up there and was like, is this guy serious right now? Like, how could he was like to, to say that it's somehow wrong for people to vote on Election Day and that we reap what we sow if they mess up the election? You know, you know, in, in scary movie, you know, in scary movie, when when uh, the the ghost faced killer goes down into the into the, the locker room. And he's gonna kill the real hot chick with the big boobs, and 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 uh, he he's left confused because she's like taunting him, and as she's taunting him, she's actually beating herself up and breaking her own leg. Yes, yes. And like and and breaking her own, killing her. She kills herself just to taunt him, and he's he's like, uh, what what? Confused. That's what I feel like right now. I, everything I don't I, I can't believe that he could have been so consistently self-degrading. He he was so serious about it too, like shuffling his papers all dramatic. And you know, look, this was um this was a um a a one hour somewhat summary. They they destroyed these the witnesses when they were testifying for the defense. You were like, oh, God, like they were boring af, of course. But like as somebody who was trying to really listen to this and give an honest, unbiased perspective of what happened, given that we all have an inherent bias in this, I would be I would be lying if I pretended that I wasn't. OK, but I was really, really trying like during the live stream, I was being very critical when it was necessary, because there were times when the plaintiffs didn't really do it all the right way. They, they flubbed the witness list. They flubbed the numbering of exhibits. One of the attorneys was very um, vivacious with the judge on several occasions, which I don't think the judge went out of his way to say didn't make him think any differently of the attorney and that he understood. But like, you don't want to be arguing with the judge to the level that he was before the judge is about to rule on your objection in your favor or an objection in your favor, which he clearly was going to do until this guy opened his mouth and it was like please stop talking god please stop talking that stuff happened and we talked about it however i don't even remember what this was this was for, for there were a lot more witnesses the cross-examination of the plaintiff's witnesses in this case from what i have seen he pinned them they pinned them down so hard on things that are just obvious and the closing arguments, if you want to watch them, will be in the description box um, for everybody after the show. I I don't see how. Now, quickly, before I say what I'm about to say, Abe uh, Hamaday has his case today. His trial is today in Yuma County, I believe. Um, I might be wrong on that. Don't quote me. He, they wouldn't give him access to the, to the counting center to do his ballot review. He called an emergency hearing yesterday. From the beginning, I haven't been able to find the documentation on this case the way it's supposed to be. It's all over the place. I'm lost. I'm still trying to get it all sorted out. But they wouldn't let him look at these ballots. And so they had an emergency hearing yesterday. And the reason they wouldn't, made, wouldn't let him look at these ballots is because of what happened in Maricopa. 
with with this hearing. It was it was. I can't see how this judge returns a ruling that rules that the defendants won this case. It I, it would be implausible to me to see that happen. But we don't make the decision. He does. Either way, it's getting appealed. Understand that, everyone. No matter what the decision is in this case, whether she wins or loses, someone's appealing it to the Supreme Court. So the Eliases out there that are all cocky on social media while his law firm is in here with these people up there, I don't know if these guys represent... That's Liddy, by the way. I don't know if... The son of G. Gordon Liddy, just so that everybody is aware. You know G. Gordon Liddy, I'm sure, Frank. Yes. After seeing, like, I gave snippets. What do you think about what you've seen? <laughs> I, I, now that we've gone through the highlights, uh, obviously there's nothing compared to the minutia of watching eight hours and being able to, to gauge the flow of everything that's going on there. But uh, in retrospect, I did see most of these highlights and, and I'm glad that I got proper context uh, for everything, and and I uh, and I'm, I'm I feel like I'm actually caught up now, um, and it's it really just comes down to what kind of what kind of courage the the judge has. Yeah, I I don't I don't need anything to convince me one way or another, and I understand that I wear my my opinions and my biases and uh, uh, on my sleeve, and I'm and I'm totally fine with that. I do, but if you know if this was a weak case, it would have been a weak case, but when. It, it's just pathetic. It's pathetic to see the side that has all of our our nation's institutions backing it up and running public relations for it and everything else that you would suppose you would think that how we are castigated as conspiracy theorists and loons and uh, and people who build our houses on foundations of sand that they would have been able to just pick these people apart like soggy artichokes yeah it would have been easy and, and right. but it's they're just like smashing against the wall and 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 they're doing damage to themselves and and they don't even understand how what they're like that that closing statement there they don't even, they i don't guess even they have it. no there's no aware there's no self-awareness of how it sounds i mean aside from what most people who are sane already kind of, uh, you know, uh, assume. So I, I just pray for the courage of the judge to do the right thing. A and then uh, I I pray for uh, for the safety of everybody else that has to put this right, whether that means a complete reversal or ordering a redo, which I would not, how do you redo it? With all uh, the oh, issues and they're in the middle of a chain of custody review and, and, and the middle of the, the root cause analysis, yeah. They shouldn't have certified it as it is. One thing on Rich, though, that we didn't get to, by the way, I pointed this out ongoing in trial, and it ended up being the case, as we saw yesterday. They went at, they had Jared up there, and they brought in a defense piece of evidence. They said, here's a, a piece of evidence, uh, defense exhibit two. It was a manual that Jared wrote about predicting turnout on election day. And in the motion to dismiss hearing, the defense tried to discount Rich Barris as an expert and then filed another motion to discount him as an expert before the case started that the judge shot down. 
saying that historical data isn't scientific data, that you can't use it, blah, blah, blah. So they brought in the manual that Jarrett had written and questioned him on it intensively for about 10 to 15 minutes about how important it is and how they use it in their everyday work and how they gather the data and how many election cycles they go back to see who voted and just made him testify and he did it proudly about his work like oh yeah we use historical data this is how we do it we do this we do that so if you've got the defense has their own witness up there on the stand testifying to the accuracy and importance of historical data in their own election planning how then is the defense going to criticize rich barris for using historical data in his projections you can't they, well, they, not only, but but to a degree tracy is isn't rich up there to bring circumstantial evidence um, in the same way that you would bring a character witness up to create more context for the larger case that's being made about what happened. Yes. Yes. I mean, so so how is that ever irrelevant in any other kind of a case to create uh, historical precedents as a way for showing how anomalous all this was? It wasn't, but that was the only way that they could go after him to discount his argument. So that's what they were trying to do. It is weak when you you yourself rely on it for your own operation. So then if you discount, if you then have your person if you question a witness about how bad historical data is and how it's not reliable, you've destroyed your own witness because on the record yesterday, they have given 30 minutes of testimony about how their entire election planning system is run on historical data. It was brilliant. And I was calling it out all day because I was like, I hope to God I'm right on this. And I ended up being right. And I was so happy they did it that way because it took half the questions off the board for Rich. They were going to assault his character, which they did in the beginning, but they couldn't go down that road of discounting his methodology because Olson was a genius in getting Jarrett on the record about what he did. It was genius. So there's that. Um, I have a little joke to play if you wanted to end the show. It's not safe for work. If you have kids in the room, I'm going to recommend that you remove them. I'm going to give everybody a minute to do that. But it's just, it's a Christmas joke to end the show about one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's pretty funny. And hold on, let me find it. That's not it. My out to lunch sign. Bear with me, people. Where'd it go? Hold on. I had it all. I think I closed my player. I'm going to, I'm making you wait, Frank. You're going to wait. You're going to wait just a minute and everybody's going to hear this, but it gives people time to get their kids away from the speakers because there's a bad word in here. It's a word you'll like, Frank. I love the bad words. I know you do. I know you do. Um, Don't leave because you're going to need to hear this. You're going to need to hear it. Okay. Here we go. We canceled a song that was written in the 1940s. Before we go, Merry Christmas to everyone because we're going to end the show right after this. He's called Baby, It's Cold Outside. People said that they were triggered, that the lyrics were rapey, and they had toxic masculinity. And that's fine if you feel that way, but radio stations across the country wouldn't play the song because people were outraged, which is fine if you feel that way. But at the exact same time, the number one song in this nation for over two months was Wet Ass Pussy. I am not making that up. You can look it up. Google it. So I want to wrap up my show by comparing and contrasting the lyrics of these two songs. If indeed this country has lost its fucking mind, shall we? Let's start with the horribly offensive Christmas song written just after World War II. 
I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been so very nice. <laughs> yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Beat it up, N-word. Extra large, extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. <laughs> My mother will start to worry. <laughs> Beautiful, what's your hurry? My father will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace roar. Well, maybe just half a drink more. <laughs> the one that really killed me was last Christmas. We canceled oh, the song. Oh, come on, it replayed. That, that's it. Um, I didn't do the bleeping. Whoever prepared this clip did. But Merry Christmas to all you guys. You have been listening to the Christmas Eve Eve edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with... Windy Val and tonight's your Christmas show beans. <laughs> Check out quite I frankly. Hope so. I, ho- I hope so. We'll see if the, if the weather's bad. My parents might not come. I might just do a, a Christmas Eve Eve call-in show while I drink Russian mules. That's fine. Quite frankly. TV. If you've got nothing going on tonight, make sure you're back on Wednesday. Merry Christmas to you guys. Stay positive. Spend time with your family. We love you so much. And we will be back on. Well, I'll be back on Monday. Later.